welcome in to the last episode of Scary Movies for the final week of October. And that, that's at the moment of recording this. If you listen to it later, after October, that's all on you. Right now it's October for us, so we're not going to hear anything about that from you later on. One of us in here are not what we seem. Alex himself is being awfully quiet, so I might have to test his blood in a little bit. As you may have guessed by my alluding, or by simply reading the title of the episode, we're talking about two classic movies made by John Carpenter, Halloween and The Thing from Outer Space, or more well-known in this version that we're talking about as The Thing. So strap in for some high-octane, non-stop action, but first for our favorite part of the show, movie news. And yes, what an intro, Davis. You're getting better and better each week. I think it's the highlight of the show for myself and all the people getting a chance to listen. Now, on to the movie news, of course, as we always I use all the, the wit I have in a week for that. Uh, I yes. save it all for the Monday, and then the rest of the week I'll be like... I'm like if anybody would like to see that in action, just tune into Compact Discourse Monday through Thursday. Pretty, Davis the, is on there Monday, every. Monday... Uh, I was actually pretty quiet today. Y'all talking a lot of over the sports stuff. You're naming like, to say. oh, the athletic director's son for San That's, Diego State, his not- dog one time. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to sit this one out. That is not what I said. However, if I did know that, that'd be really cool, I think. Um, his dog's name's Fido. His dog's name what? It's Fido. It's fun fact. Actually? No, Alex, not actually. You think I know San Diego State's athletic director's son's dog's name off the top of my head? You know some crazy things. I do know know some some crazy crazy things, things, but not like that. I don't know. I don't know. But we're going to move on to our movie news. Just getting my computer set up right here. And now the first and foremost, according to Discussing Film on Twitter, Hayden Christensen will be reprising the role of Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader in in the Ahsoka TV series on Disney+. Plus. This comes after he's, of course, reprising his role in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Davis, what are your thoughts on that? uh, That's cool, I guess. I'm probably not going to watch this show. Really? I might watch it after a while after it's come out, but I haven't watched any of the new Marvel stuff. I never finished Mandalorian. I'm just kind of, I haven't watched, the only TV show I've been watching recently is Seinfeld. Wow. Davis, very Davis good. Being Seinfeld. How, no, many, no. how many episodes are we in right now, Davis? I'm in season four. Wow. They're only they're all like 20 minutes long. Bow, bow, Each season bow, has like bow, 10, 20 bow, episodes. Bow, 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 very entertaining. Bow, bow, I re- I'm a very big fan. Jerry! <laughs> I love that show. My, My wallet was- is gone! <laughs> My wallet is gone! Just watched that episode in the bullpen earlier. It's a good episode. It's a good episode. My mom loves that show. Um... Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really want to just because I really like the Star Wars content from that era, a lot of the new era stuff. But I really like the Mandalorian. I really liked. I really like the Ahsoka appearance. I love the Clone Wars. So that I think that'll be really cool. Moving on further, something we've talked about earlier this, uh, this semester with our with our episodes, we talked about Tenet. We talked about Christopher Nolan's next upcoming movie, Oppenheimer, and now Emily Blunt is in talks to join the cast of Oppenheimer, already with Killian Murphy in the starring role as Robert is Oppenheimer. Cillian or Killian? I thought, I, was Kill- I thought it was Killian Murphy. I've heard Christopher Nolan say Killian, and he's British. He would know. So I'm gonna. Uh uh-uh. uh. Don't don't. Mm mm. You you sound like one of those British who's like we invented the language, so we we say it all right. Well, no, but Killian Murphy's also English, so that's why I'm. I'm gonna say Cillian. I'm a. I've heard it both ways. No, you haven't. You've heard it incorrectly. I've heard I know it both that, ways. I know that was a psych reference. Don't snap at me. Stop, stop it! Stop it! What, 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 no no. Stop, mm, nope. And, oh my god. Ow. Yeah, that no, hurt. Duh. Don't you dummy. There's no way you thought that was going to hurt. It's a piece of metal. What did you expect? Not it to hurt. Oh my gosh. Oh my I didn't gosh. mean to do that. It was an accident. Anyway, 
Killian Murphy already starring as Robert Oppenheimer. Emily Blunt joined the cast. I really like Emily, Bl- Emily Blunt. Excuse me. Talking really fast. She's been really great in like everything. Like Edge of Tomorrow, Quiet Place. I really like her. So that will be great. I think Nolan's films tend to, you know, he much like Tarantino's like, yes, my cast is 30 people long and they're all A-list celebrities. So I'm, I'm excited and for that. And four of them are in all my movies. Yes, exactly. Michael, Same with Wes Anderson. Michael Caine, who allegedly did not retire, will be there. So that's cool. Uh, moving on. Aaron Sorkin, writing and directed Being the Ricardos, the film about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, has released its first trailer. The sto- the mo- movie, excuse me, movie which will release on November 10th, stars Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball, Javier Bardem as Desi Arnaz, and J.K. Simmons in a role that I could not find the uh, official character name for. He was just kind of there. Those are, those are, he looked like a producer on the show, if anything, because they're doing the show I Love Lucy, and it's sort of about how they do that show and how the marriage between Arnaz and Ball sort of fell apart. Interesting. And it's titled Being the Ricardos because their characters were the, they were the Ricardos on the uh, TV show I Love Lucy. Davis, what did you think of the trailer? I know you don't know much about I Love Lucy like I do, but because my mom was a huge fan. But what did you think of the trailer? Uh, the I mean, it looked okay. It was directed by Aaron Sorkin and written, so that's really the only thing that really stood out to me is wanting to see it. I mean, the actors are good, but I don't care about I Love Lucy. Mm-hmm. The only other person thing I know about is Lucy. I Love Lucy is Ricky Ricardo. I think he maybe wore a jacket or he had a mustache. What was it? Uh, I know that from the Jimmy Buffett song that mentions Ricky Ricardo. It, it, yeah, it is just he's an actor and Lu- and Lucio Ball plays Lucy as his like stay at home uh, wife and it's just he's he's actually more like he's not he's like a singer I think, but it's sort of it's like I think he has a jacket like he wears like an iconic jacket or something. I don't I don't remember that, but even in the trailer, heard, you know, I heard it in a Jimmy Buffett song, you, so it must you, be real. You hear the line that uh, Lucy, who's played by Nicole Kidman, wanted to do the show just to stay closer to her husband, and how. It kind of evolves from there into this thing that they have to do 36 weeks a year, constantly be doing that show. In a two-tone Ricky Ricardo jacket. Ah, there you go. Okay. It's a good song, Pencil Thin Mustache. Interesting. interesting. I wish I had a pencil thin mustache. Uh Oh, Davis Davis is singing and snapping on this show. This could be the musical-themed episode of Through the Lens. Who knows? Um, Wait for the musical episode where I get really mad. uh Oh. I'm not a big musical fan. Mm, Interesting. Well, we'll I like some of them. Mm, Some of them. Obviously, if you count like Coco as a musical, which I don't. Mm. But like... The Psych episode, I like, I like that musical. La La Land, I didn't finish it, but I did like what I saw. I just never got around to finishing it. Never seen Les Mis. I like Mamma Mia. Wow, I've never seen Mamma Mia. It's actually pretty entertaining. I've Mamma seen, Mia Mi- I've seen Les Mis. I haven't seen La La Land, but I've not seen Mamma Mia. And I honestly don't believe it's as good based on just the trailers and what I like about movies. But maybe I'll be wrong. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, maybe we'll watch it one of these days. But yeah, Being the Ricardos, coming out November 10th. I know my mom will probably look forward to maybe seeing that, as will my grandma, a huge I Love Lucy fan, both of them. Interesting. And moving on, we've got four more trailers to go before a very big bit of news at the end. Another trailer, the Unchart- Uncharted trailer was released. Davis, just take it very, away. I'm very mad. Go ahead. About this movie in Let general. First off, Nathan Fillion should be Nathan Drake. Just want to throw that out there. He's literally the perfect casting, and he was in a fan-made Uncharted movie like five years ago. And I get he's older, but like, you can. Uh, it doesn't matter. the 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 whole point of the fourth game is how Nathan's getting old. Whatever. Next up, I could be fine with Tom Holland as the casting if he knew about the character, which he said I have to play a stoic. What was the other word he said? He said a uh, stoic, and I think uh, quiet. Serious. Yeah, it was like serious, serious which is not. Nathan Drake's character at all, if you've ever played the games or even watched the subway commercial, where he's where he's holding the subway in the train, he's not he's not serious. The whole point of the game is that 
you just you're like Indiana Jones. You're having fun. One of the things he does, he punches somebody. He says, "Kitty got wet." He just says random one-liners. Nate, uh, Chris, or uh, Nolan North's son, uh, said that used to say, "Kitty got wet," and he just said it for the game, and it stuck. And now, so wait, you're saying it wasn't in the or it was in the game? It's just oh, a fun yeah, okay. fact about the game. I want to throw in there for yeah, you. Go, go ahead, go ahead. But keep keep on. Sully looks dumb. I just think it's going to be like a dumb action movie that they've just pasted on the Uncharted, the Uncharted thing, just to really get some more money for it. That's really how I see it, and I'm not happy about it. I and, could talk about it more, but I'm not going to. And people are claiming that the movie claims to be a prequel to the games, yet there are scenes from the games within the movie's yes. trailer. Apparently, like well, it might pieces. be homages to it, but like, but then again, what's but the, the thing is, you already know how Sully. And Nathan met in Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. It flashes back to how they met in Cuba. And it then it shows it shows the uh, the, the iconic plane scene from uh, Uncharted 3 where he's falling out the back of the plane. He's climbing back, which is an awesome set piece, and he's in the desert. It shows that. It has the thing where they're basically doing the Uncharted 4 heist where they have to turn off. I'm not sure how, if they're going to turn off the lights, but they're trying to steal a cross from an auction, which is un- in Ch- Uncharted 4. Uh Obviously, fighting the big guys. I mean, it, it really is just trying to take all the best set pieces from each game, it looks like, and I'm not happy about it. If That's you want to have your own Uncharted story, okay, build your own. Don't just take the best bits of Uncharted. And then if you want to make sequels, you're just... I I, I don't know. I, I'm not happy about it. Davis is clearly not happy It's my favorite all. game series, and I, I know this movie's not going to be that good for an Uncharted why It might just be a fun, dumb action movie, but it's not going to be Uncharted-worthy. It's not going to be Uncharted. That's fair. Uh, yeah, we watched it in the bullpen uh, last week. Just in general, I don't think it looked good as a movie anyway, let alone Uncharted, let alone Faithful but to I, the interpretation. But I know it's going to get me with just like, it's going to, it, maybe Nolan North's going to show up as like a cameo. I'm going to be like, oh my God, this movie's amazing. Is Nolan North. And then you'll watch it a second time and you'll be like, this movie's terrible. Uh, well, the thing is, uh, yeah. I watched... In in the theaters for Rise of Skywalker, I knew it was bad. I was laughing out loud. So like the nostalgia bait didn't really get me there. It so kind of got me. Won't. It kind of got me. And then I thought about it. and I was like, wait, this movie was terrible. And then I, I just, watched it again. I was like, they oh. fly now, and they, and they went, they fly now. I rolled my eye. I went, oh my god. <laughs> and then when uh, they said uh, you're a Palpatine, you laughed out loud. I did. I, I felt kind of bad. I was kind of like a really. I didn't mean it to be so. I was like, ha. <laughs> and I, I'm sure everybody was like. What's so funny back there? And they're like looking around. Who's laughing? What, what's so funny? I, I thought that was a pretty dramatic scene. I was like, wow. I was so mad. And then, of course, when they when we heard Mason Windu's voice, we freaked out. Okay, that, that, that that's that, the one part that I actually go that back was, and watch that, was that hype. scene. That, that was, was hype. cool. That was hype. It doesn't make sense, um, though, but, you know, whatever. Indeed. And three more trailers down the line. Uh, trailer for Red Notice, a Netflix film starring The Rock, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. Davis, what did you think about this one? It looks... Like a fun, like dumb a action movie. movie. Yeah, a Netflix yeah. movie I'm never going to watch. Like Six Underground, those type of movies. I'm sure someone's going to really enjoy it, but I'm never probably going to watch I, it. I honestly am not either unless I hear really good things about it. But going out the trailer alone, don't look forward to it at all. Not really. Not at all. And then uh, down down below, two more or one more trailer to go. Trailer for Ambulance starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Jake Gyllenhaal. They are brothers in that movie uh, attempting to rob a bank. Uh, to get some money that uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character needs, directed by Michael Bay. Davis, this looks like... It looks terrible. Looks like looks like someone has dirt on Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Jake Gyllenhaal, and they just got him in a movie. I mean, what, if it's been a nice payday. I don't know, though. The action set pieces looked good. No, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not interested in the it. The trailer seemed to show the whole movie, though. 
as most trailers now do like, do nowadays. Like imagine for the Uncharted trailer. Imagine if they 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 kept the cards close to the chest for the for the plane scene, the most iconic Uncharted set piece. And then Uncharted. If I went in there, I'll be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm pretty happy with that. But now now I've seen it. I don't, it. I don't care. I've seen it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, because like this one, like we know that he needs money. We know he's a veteran. We know they go to the bank. We know it goes wrong. We know a cop gets in there. We know they end up in a nameless. We know they host, hold it hostage. We know that... I mean, we don't know if they're going to live or die, but we know we know that Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen's characters get in a fist fight because of the tension. We know... We even... Like, like I don't really see how this is a good marketing strategy because there's no anticipation other than are they going to live or die? Well, I, in my opinion, Jake Gyllenhaal's character is clearly going to die and Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character is clearly going to survive. Now, those are all the tropes that Michael Bay sticks to consistently. I could be wrong about that. I don't know if I am, but I really don't look forward to this movie at all. And then the last bit of news, this one's a bit crazier. Buckle in, guys. Alec Baldwin, on the set of his movie Rust, fired a prop gun that accidentally killed a cinematographer and wounded the director of the film. Oddly enough, Rust is ba- is about an accidental killing in the 19th century, and this movie now the entire production may be shut down permanently as Alec Baldwin accidentally fired a gun that had a live round in it that killed a cinematographer and injured the director of the film. Alec Baldwin is a producer on this movie. Davis? Apparently it happened while they were like away from the set for like a break and he had the prop on him and he was trying to show him how he's going to pull it out for the scene and it went off on accident. And also, apparently a week before that, a stunt double had a prop gun that he was told was cold and then was fired two live rounds from it on accident as well. Yeah, and... So there's a lot of concerns about the safety on this set with the prop master and stuff, telling them that it's cold or it's... There's no, there's no round in it at all. And prop guns traditionally are made to where they cannot hold live rounds. Like, they're made to where the only thing they can fire is blanks. Well, sometimes, well, what happened with Brandon Lee, there was a piece of paper, or there was something, like, wadded in it, on a, like, in the, in the barrel is what got Brandon Lee, and I'm sure maybe this happened again. Yeah, so this is very tragic turn of events on the set of the film. Nobody really knows what the next step is. I don't see this movie coming out. I, yeah, ever. I, 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 like... It's it. I mean, really, I, they like from a sheer press wise, you already lose. You've already lost. Really, there, there's no way to say. Look at this cool trailer, this movie where a person died. Not to mention where it seems like negligence. It doesn't seem, you know, it's not like, you know, attempting a stunt and you just everything goes horribly wrong. It seems like something that clearly could have been prevented. With more stories coming out about what happened. Just insanity, really. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't see it either. But what are, what are the odds of a movie about an accidental killing where this happens? You know, nobody knows what's going to happen to Alec Baldwin because, like, nobody knows what the rules are. Like, do you get charged with no, manslaughter? I don't think he will because, I mean, if he had, like, maybe known there was a chance of the bullet being in there and then he, like, pointed it and pulled it, I'm just speculating here. That's I'm good. not trying to yeah, say no, I have any Yeah, nobody really knows because it, like, it kind of just appeared in the news randomly. I don't think there's really – I don't think he's going to get charged. It seems like an accident. He didn't know – First of all, if it's true that he was trying to pull it out and show him how he's going to pull it out and actually went off, that's an accident right there. Yeah. And I'm sure he didn't know there was going to be a lot. I doubt he knew there was going to be live rounds in it. Yeah, so I don't really see. I just see this as they're going to say it was an accident, and I'm sure Alec Baldwin feels terrible. It seems like he does from the yeah. press releases yeah. he's had. Yeah. Well, we're in agreement on that. Um, now, with all that, that wraps up our new segment for the 32nd episode in the history of Through the Lens. We've done 32 episodes so far. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And this is our final Halloween one for this year. 
Ever. Re- no more Halloween episodes. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to talk about The Exorcist. We are erasing days. the month of Halloween from our calendars. Or I month of October. I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. We are going to move on to John Carpenter's Halloween and John Carpenter's The Thing right now. So, Davis, Halloween, 1978 release. This was John Carpenter's second big film in his very young career. I, for some reason in my mind, thought John Carpenter was very old when these movies came out and were made. He was 30 years old. He was he was kind of in the prime of his directing. He was he was a young rock star exactly. in the horror movie genre. Very much so. So he, he he did Assault on Precinct 13 in 1976, which is big break, and then he comes and does Halloween, labeled John Carpenter's Halloween. First of all, I love the intro. I love the very unique intro of it. I like the classic style of director's name, Halloween, because it, it helps the movie stand out because Halloween's like a proper noun. You know, it's like if you made a movie called The White House, you'd want it to be Davis Carroll's The White House, because then The White House is the building. It's a place. Halloween is a holiday, so this makes it stand out a bit. Directed by John Carpenter, and here's the cast list. Donald Pleasance is the marquee guy. His name is he's Dr. Sam Loomis, but in, on the official credits, he's only called Loomis. I think only one time. And Jamie Lee Curtis is Laurie Strobe. We only know her first name as Laurie. Nick Castle is Michael Myers slash The Shape. That is the man in the costume with his mask on. Tony Moran as Michael Myers when he is unmasked. Will Sandin as Michael Myers, age six, which opens the film. PJ Souls as Linda Van- Vanderklok, who uh, that is one of Laurie or Jamie Lee Curtis's friends. Nancy Kyes as Annie Brackett, also another one of Laurie's friends and a victim of Michael Myers. And I got to say, John Carpenter, a very unique um, skill set in the fact that he is the director and simultaneously the composer of this film. You rarely ever see that. In 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 any in any genre and in any films, as far as my memory goes, I don't recall seeing many, if any, directors who are the composers and also the, uh, as again directing the film and also writing the music for. And I got to say, Davis, the music is amazing. What did you think about the music? Just opening the movie and how it's just constantly there. It's very foreboding. It's very iconic. But for some reason, every time I try to think of it, I always think of the Twilight Zone. No, I think of the Exorcist one. I think it was a dun 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 dun, dun which is the exorcist yeah. actually. In terms of Halloween is not But like bad. obviously the Halloween one's probably the most iconic ever, but for some reason neither of us can just pull it from I can't like I can't even do it, but I know it. Yeah, exactly. Likewise, likewise. I think the exorcist is probably the most iconic. That came out in nineteen seventy three. Really, really, really I feel like the I feel like you more people would know Halloween if you played it for them. True. I just know the exorcist one, even though I don't I've never seen the exorcist. Yeah. I don't know how how that works. Um, and this was again Carpenter's big break. Uh, Carpenter has seventy soundtrack credits while only thirty two director credits. You can, he's, he's on Spotify as well. He is. He is. He's got more soundtracks than he does actual movies that he's directed. I mean, I I really think uh, just what a movie. I I don't want to go plot point by plot point, but this this reinvented the slasher genre. It essentially sparked a massive surge in slasher films in the eighties uh, and nineties, which is why I think. The movie leans into a lot of tropes, but you can't criticize it for it because it invented the tropes, right? And I'll get, I'll get to that in, in a minute. Davis, well, what are some of your biggest takeaways from this film, uh, top to bottom? Well, this was my first time seeing it. I know it was also your Same first time seeing Same for me. Same for me. I just really imagined it being a lot more action-packed. Exactly. I, 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 what I basically knew was that Michael Myers killed his sister when he was a kid, was in the mental asylum, got out. Uh, and then he like harasses Laurie Strode for it. But I thought... like. She was fighting him off for like forty minutes, maybe even half the movie. But it was only like fifteen minutes, where 
they, she was really in danger exactly of michael myers he was just picking on he was just picking off the other kids across the street one of my favorite things about this movie is the fact that the first kill that is not that is not uh his sister right the first like official kill that we see on screen other than the sister and other than the guy he takes the truck from is 54 minutes in He's been stalking these characters for roughly 35 oh, minutes. Why, why does he stalk? Because they walked up to his house? Yes. Okay. That's what I believe. So I, I think I think he is, he's, he's, he's explained in, this is, a, I'll have a couple critiques for it, but he's explained in the exposition by uh, Loomis in the car that he's just pure, unadulterated evil. And that presents itself in the fact that how dare somebody come up to the house? How dare somebody be where I lived? Right? And that's how I interpreted it. Because then again, the movie ends on a cliffhanger. Maybe there's more explanation in the later films. I haven't seen the later ones. I've only seen this one, and I saw the the 2018 sequel sort of remake. It's called Halloween as well. Uh, not directed by John Carpenter, though. But, like, the first kill is 54 minutes in. This is very different from Scream, you know, where Scream opens and continues to just up it and up it and up it. And not to mention one thing. The kills are very simple. Strangulation, throat slash, strangulation, stab and pin to a door, which is pretty graphic, right? And then strangulation again. It's not, you know, the each character takes a thousand hits like it was in Scream, right? In Scream, they just get bloodied out of their minds and they still survive. You know, Randy gets shot and then punched in the face, right? For and those of us who uh, listen to the Scream episode, you know what I'm talking about. Not to mention, I notice he he wipes off the knife with his hand after every uh, slash, which is I'm wondering where they got that from Scream. I was wondering. If that maybe because remember in Scream the killer does the same thing, so I'm wondering if that was sort of an homage to Halloween. I don't know, um, but you're yeah like it is it is a lot slower, and that's one thing I really like about it is a lot of movies. I'll say horror movies and slashers in the more recent era consistently were, um, you know, the characters are very flat and very basic. They're cookie cutter characters that are just there to get slashed up, right? Like that's how I would, even the Halloween remakes with Rob Zombie are the exact same way, I would say. Because I've actually seen part of the first one. I don't know why or what, what led me to see that, but eh, not very good. In this movie, you know, there's there's actually decent characterization for Laurie and her friends and who Laurie is and their, their whole walk uh, home from school with Michael constantly stalking them I thought was really cool. I also like the jump back and forth between Laurie and her friends and... Loomis and the detective trying to figure it out. How about the uh, Laurie and her friends drive away right as Loomis shows up, and then Michael's able to sneak away as Loomis like is just looking away. I also like that these are not very dumb turnaround scenes. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh my gosh, he's right behind you, dork. Why are you not turning around, or why are you walking outside? It's kind of more natural, I would say. What do you think? Yeah, I, uh, the characters are much more fleshed out. I, re- I really don't have much to add to what you just said there. Really? I mean, the characters are fleshed out the ones that you actually care about not the bob and lydia or whoever that linda linda i don't really care about them they just showed up i have one question though one question so what was the friend's name annie annie the one that was across the street yes did who moved her car did michael myers move her car because she was she was in the car and he killed her in it and then you see him carry her into the house and the car's still there but then it cuts again when and her car's not there anymore. What do you mean? And the, the car was in the garage. They never cut back to the garage. It wasn't it, but you saw it under the little stoop right beside the house. I never remember that. I, I, thought, I think it was there. I don't remember that at all. This may be something we have to we have to like discuss after the show and then correct it for our next episode. But I don't. I don't, I don't feel like there. I'm gonna be able to look it up. Uh, maybe maybe I just mis- misunderstood where. It I don't was. remember I it being I there. I thought it. it was in the garage the whole time. 
It probably was. I don't know. I thought it was her parents' not, car I'm, was in the like little stoop area, but the car that she was in was in the garage. I, I rescind until I further no further. Fair enough. Um, I will say it does kind of lay into a couple of the. Or excuse me, it lays into a couple of the um, slasher tropes, like the fact that he gets up three times and the fact that he just cannot be stopped and they're just running away, but. This movie kind of invented that, so I don't think I can really hate on that. Because he's supernatural that's in the old canon. Uh, and that's, honestly, it's, I think it's what we're supposed to believe here. Because there's one thing I will say is the exposition is a little rough. There's Because it's it's kind of how they want to make him this faceless creature. You know, you see his face one time, just to reveal that he's human almost. But everything, he doesn't speak. He hasn't spoken in 15 years. As, he breathes. Uh, as as um, Loomis says. So the whole gimmick is... Everybody's exposition on him, including Loomis just saying he's pure evil. He's so evil. How evil is he? Which I will say, I'm kind of confused on that because Loomis says, I spent eight years trying to get him to speak and seven years trying to get him to keep him locked up because he knows he's pure evil just because of the look he saw in his eyes. That seems like a very much rush to judgment for a doctor. He looks pretty angry, so he must be pure evil. Like, he never spoke to the guy. Technically, then again, maybe that's because the resolve to just not speak is what proves how evil he can be because he has such a resolve to do that. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sold on that necessarily because I'm like, you didn't really, you didn't really, like, how can you evaluate him if you're just looking at him? He was, he was, he was dealing with it for 15 years, so fair he's point. probably seen some stuff. Fair point, fair point, fair point. Uh, also, this is like introducing Jamie Lee Curtis in the credits uh, as Laurie Strode. This is one of her, I think it was her big break. Not like one of them, but her big break. What did you think of she's her She's the Scream Queen. She's the original Scream Queen. That's true, and she she's great in this, I will say. She doesn't scream as much as I thought she was going to. Indeed, because then again, I don't think there's enough time to scream as much because there's not a lot of action in this movie. Excuse you okay over there, Alex? Yeah, yeah, my bad. Alex fell over. Not nearly. Not nearly. My computer did, though. Nearly. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Jamie Lee Curtis in this. I like Jamie Lee Curtis in general. Probably my first movie I ever saw her in was uh, Freaky Friday with her oh and Lindsay Lohan. Oh, my gosh. That movie. That movie. A Fun classic. Fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think she's great in this. She plays a good Girl Scout, as she kept describing herself. Uh, also, as a pretty strong character that ends up kind of killing... Or injuring Michael she, Myers. She actually fights back. I yes. like that. There, There is um, a bit of, like, yeah, like, even when she hides in the closet, I'm thinking, you're just going to sit here and cry while he's breaking in. What are you going to do? Well, like, she had a plan. But then she gets the coat hanger, and it, like, it works. And I really liked that as well. Like, she's not a damsel, necessarily. And that's, that, you know, that kind of leads further and further with, you know, Scream, Sydney Prescott is not a damn she pretty film. realistically yeah. in that situation. But she, uh, that, that's the thing is, I, I think that's perfectly fine as well. I will say the movie is, it it is aged. It is aged in, you know, a lot of the sound design, like some of the, like the sound when they, all the characters are getting choked out is kind of terrible. It's clearly been dubbed back in, I think, or it's on a mic that's on their shirt that's already being muffled. Like, and when she, when she first sort of stabs him with the, uh, like the knitting thing, like the sound is very, it's like, whew, and he falls over, and you're like, that, that's it. And of course, I knew that wasn't going to be it because I'm like, there's no way Michael Myers goes down like that, considering the other th- movies I've seen where he just doesn't go down. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that that it, it has age in terms of its sound design, in terms of the technical aspects. As Davis has a sneeze, there. You look you, wonderful today. Wait, wait, Seinfeld reference. So he says instead of bless you. Really. That's, I mean, that's what he does in one episode. Where, I don't remember that. Where episode. George is at dinner with Elaine's friends that are married, and then the wife sneezes, 
and the husband doesn't say bless you, and then George gets into a fight with the husband because he said bless you to her. Oh my god. And then gosh. Jerry's like, why don't we just say something like, you look wonderful today, make them happy after they sneeze. That's a good choice, good choice. Um, But back back to the movie. Yeah, just quick Seinfeld um, just quick, aside. Se- quick, Seinfeld, like, sneeze. quick Seinfeld reference. Um. Yeah, I, I think I think that that part is where you can see it's aged. It's aged in a lot of it's like I think just it's just technically it is not as brilliant as um as later installments of horror films in general have been. Like even I would say let, let's compare budgets because I believe the thing which we'll talk about later had a very large budget, fifteen million dollars, large for that time. Meanwhile, Halloween worked on a three hundred thousand to three hundred twenty-five thousand dollar budget. Can you believe that? That's insane. Not to mention the, the it made sixty to seventy million. That's an insane profit margin for one, and not to mention, I mean, that that's pretty good for getting Donald Pleasance is a very accomplished actor at the time. Uh, getting him to play the role of Loomis is pretty impressive for the film. And I just I really like the camera shots. And I re, I re, I will say two things. This is both a critique and a compliment. I love the music, and I love how he'll start it when he know he's like it almost he almost uses the fact that it's played so often. To sort of be like, hey, to the audience, now's the time to panic. You know, you think everything's fine, but then the music starts playing, you're like, where is he? Is he near there? Is he over there? And then the boogeyman. And I've got a couple of lines written down at the end that I just really, really like. Um, let me let me go ahead and check my notes from the lines. Uh, when how, remember, I like how Lori's like, it's not the boogeyman to Tommy. Like, there is no such thing as the boogeyman. And then her last line is, it was the boogeyman. And Loomis says, as a matter of fact, it was. And that's it. That's the last line in the whole movie. Um, also, I don't know if this was supposed to be funny or not, but Laurie says, I'll kill you if this is a joke, as Linda gets choked out on the phone. I thought that was kind of funny, because she's like, I'll kill you if this is a joke, and she's she's literally dying right then. I don't know. Maybe 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 I have a dark sense of humor. I don't know. And then also Loomis, when they when they get to the uh, to Mike the Myers house with the cop, and like, is that a dog? And Loomis is just like, he got hungry, and the cops like, "What?" There's yeah, no that was. Way. I was like, "He ate the dog." And then Loomis like, "Yeah, he did. What of it?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's that was just like that was like okay, we get it, we get it. He's crazy, he's insane." Um. Also, how about a lot of the foreshadowing? Um, we see Laurie in class, uh, in literature class, and the teacher says this quote: "Fate caught up with several lives here. No matter what course of actions Collins took." He was destined to his own fate. Is that a bit of a bit of foreshadowing here? Yes, very obvious. Because I think I think additionally, very obvious foreshadowing there. I think I think uh, additionally with the uh, part of part of the thing about Myers is that he doesn't run after his like uh, captors. He just sort of walks, as in he's this immovable force that cannot be stopped. And I really I really like uh, like that part because I think that's very clearly. Some foreshadowing with that part, and um, also Laurie walks away at one point singing, I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us, as Michael is clearly staring at her in the background. And now, Davis, an important thing, though, what did you think of the ending? That, what what part of it? That he got up? Yeah, that he, that, he that like, did... Were, he had to set up a sequel. I, I haven't seen the sequel, but how about, the, how about the fact that the camera jumps around to the breathing as in he's everywhere? Did you did you notice oh, that part at the I end? Did not. The camera so the camera keeps cutting around and the breathing intensifies, but you don't see him. And I I took that as implying that he's everywhere. Mm. Like there's no there's no telling where he is and where he could strike next because part of his thing is whenever he's on screen, there's this very labored, heavy breathing that comes with it. Yes. That 
is sort of supposed to exude his presence. He's not this towering, stomping figure, but the the, the haunting. <sighs> yeah, um, I don't know about it leading to a sequel, but then again, I guess it's very haunting is the fact that he couldn't be killed. I don't know if it was supposed to lead to a sequel. I thought it was it kind of... It definitely was. They I, wouldn't have got it, let him get up and leave if it wasn't. I don't know. That I, le- He's like, oh, he's still out there. Then they're... They wouldn't have put that in if they didn't Fair. want to make a sequel. Fair. I don't know. Just a three hundred fifty thousand dollars movie doesn't seem to have it. Doesn't seem like it would have the, the, you know, not not the wherewithal, but the, the boldness, not the boldness, the um, John Carpenter the foresight. Knew what he was doing. I know. I agree. John Carpenter's a genius. However, let me check. Did he direct the later one? He directed most of them. I think. I didn't. Think he definitely he directed, directed Halloween two. I didn't think he directed Halloween two. I bet um, he did. He he had a hand in it. Oh yeah, the least. first the first sequel was written by Carpenter. And it begins exactly where it ends. It was intended to finish the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. Carpenter did not direct any of the subsequent films in the Halloween series, although he did produce Halloween three, the plot of which is unrelated to the other films in the series due to the absence of Michael Myers. Hmm? What? There's a Halloween three that doesn't even have him. No. Oh my gosh. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, I think I watched a video about this. The third installment of the Halloween film series, the first one to be directed... Yeah, it's in like, I think it's supposed Tommy to be Wallace, like... John Carpenter, Deborah Hill, the craze of Halloween, Halloween 2 Returns. Produced Halloween 3 is the only entry that does not feature the series antagonist, Michael Myers. After the film's disappointing reception and box, box office performance, Michael Myers was brought back six years later in Halloween 4, Return of Michael Myers. It treats the prior films in the franchise as fictional films, and the film's tagline is a reference to one to the one from the original as well. It also departs from the slasher genre, which the rest of the installments were a part of, and instead features a witchcraft theme with science fiction aspects. Boom. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill believe that the Halloween series had the potential to be an anthology series of films that centered around the night of Halloween, with each sequel containing its own character, setting, and storyline. Well, that didn't work out too well. Uh, let's see. The first Halloween made... 60 to 70 million. This film, Halloween 3, had a budget of 2.5 and made 14.4 million. Ouch. That is very unfortunate. I'm very surprised that, that was what ended up happening. I, I like I really did not. That's just insane. And it, meanwhile, Halloween 2 made $25 million. That's a really cool poster, I'd say, but still. Uh that that is an insane carryover for the film. Davis, any final thoughts on Halloween? How iconic is it? How It's very iconic. Uh, it's a good movie. Check it out if you like s- classic slashers. I can see why it had such a lasting impact. Not as not as much for me as I thought it was going to be, though. I, I, still, I it, still enjoyed it. We've it's grown older. up on the new era, which is more upbeat. Not upbeat. More action-packed. More goes on. This film is more methodical. It's also shorter, hour and 30. It's Michael stalking people for the majority of the movie, just haunting you. He's everywhere. And it's it's a little it's it's older it's a little dated it's a little campy I'd say at times not so much so some of the again some of the sound is very okay that was made in the seventies but I think it's it, it honestly in terms of just a movie itself I give it four out of four and a half out of five stars I'll give like because, a four four and because half, yeah. there, there's nothing really that is wrong other than the fact that it plays new few tropes is a little old but everything else is perfect I like the fact that there's actual characterization with Laurie and her friends it's not just I, there, there's some. It's not super, you know, you're not really caring about them. I thought Andy was kind of funny, but, like, not a lot of, you know, very important characterization. But they stand out, and they're more than just cookie-cutter characters. They're more than just, you know, stand-ins, extras. And I like that part. Um, yeah, this is, this is a great movie. I, I'm going to watch for future Halloweens because I just think it's a great I, – I like it. I think it's – and a lot of my friends haven't seen it as well. But it's a really great movie by John Carpenter, and – 
If you like Halloween films, this would be one to watch because it's named that and it really centers on the day and on the scariness of that day. But with that, we're going to ra- we're done with Halloween directed by John Carpenter and we're now going to move on with Hallow- with excuse me, with the th- we're now going to move on with the thing directed by John Carpenter with Chris DeBias as the guest. Hello, hello. We are in f- to the second part of this episode with a guest here. That was your cue to say hello. Hey. There you go. Chris, <laughs> Chris DeBias. Private DeBias in here. Back in the studio for this another uh, horror movie-themed episode. He was here for Hereditary and Midsummer. Now we're talking about Halloween and John Carpenter's The Thing, which Chris knows a lot about. We'll get into that in a moment. But, Chris, overall, like, when was the first time you watched The Thing? Um... You know, I don't remember. I want to say it was sometime during my Kino phase in high school, when I was no! a, when I was a big movie guy. Now, of course, as Chris and Lessup's no longer a big movie guy, but still watches the thing. At least it watched it. He likes to watch Family time. Guy a lot now. Uh, I yes. actually spent. The Did you ever finish that video? That three-hour video, Family Guy best moments. I three hours. Left. He's got ten minutes left in I'm it. Three it. hours. It's like every cutaway, <laughs> <laughs> or every bet. This is worse than the time. <laughs> Stop it, y'all! Stop it. It's so worse than the time I was on that Arctic mission. You know, it's a funny joke. It cl- clearly, thing. clearly. Can um, you test your blood, Brian? Sorry, <laughs> I was the thing. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Right, that's gonna be a good one. Write it down. Write okay, down. Uh, as I'll allow Chris to write that down, I'll talk a bit about uh, the thing. John Carpenter is the thing, directed by John Carpenter, not di- not uh, composed by him. The composer took a backseat for uh, Ennio Morricone, who did The Hateful Eight and the, uh, the Untouchables as two of his more popular movies that he's composed before. And the thing, the original version from the 1950s was in Halloween. That was the movie yeah. Laurie and them are watching. I'm just saying, it seems like sort of a passion project because... Carpenter got a lot more money on this budget than he did for Halloween, and a lot more money on this budget than Halloween too, as well. He said he felt the thing was his best work ever. I, 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 I honestly agree with that. We'll we'll get to that, but it clearly, honestly, seems more like a passion project, something he very much enjoyed directing and uh, working on. So I'm just going to go through the cast list right now. We've got Kurt Russell as R.J. McCready, A. Wilford Brimley as Blair, T.K. Carter as Nalls, David Clennon as Palmer, Keith David, love Keith David as Child. I didn't realize that was him. Really? I. I mean, he didn't have his hair. I've only ever seen him mm. older. Mm. I, I recognized him Im- immediately. I didn't. Uh, Richard Dysart as Dr. Cooper, Copper. Excuse me. Charles Hallahan as Norris. Peter Maloney as George Bennings. Richard Masur as Clark. Donald Moffat as Gary. Joel Polis as Fuchs. Thomas Waits as Windows. That is the cast, and that is pretty much the only cast because the movie doesn't go anywhere else in the entire uh, film where it's very isolated and spooky and also based on a novel, I believe, that was written to as a sort of commentary on McCarthyism, actually. I, I was doing some research on this. So the I, I believe it was a book, like or actually it was the short story. It was a novella yes, called yes, exactly. uh, Who Goes There. And I think, uh, Chris, you may know more about it than I, I do, it, but it was about sort of paranoia and the dangers of lacking in trust, which was written during the McCarthyism era where everyone was a communist, according to certain people in the U.S. government. If you didn't like, if you didn't agree with them, you were a communist. Yeah, it kind, it kind of, kind of, and McCarthyism it refers to the idea of in, the intense paranoia that lo- that led to constantly people being dragged before the Congress to claim that they weren't communists and prove it because everybody thought that everybody was spying on everybody and it was you chaos. like red velvet cake. You must be a communist. That's uh, I don't I don't know if it got that far. 
I don't know if unless unless McCarthy didn't like it's like the Crucible. Day. I've never seen the Crucible. It's a book. The I, I thought it was a movie too. It's a play technically. Right. It was published in the 30s. So, really? Yeah. And that really? Yeah. There was still there was still Red Scare in the 30s. And, Not really. The Red Scare came more post World War II. Huh. That's interesting. I read something that said it was based on it was it was uh, sort of a commentary on that. Let's see. It's um. Is wait. It, it was adapted into a film in 1951. So maybe people started. Um, that's true. You're right. 1938. It, that's yeah. It was released in 1938 as part of like a science fiction journal. Well, I will say is one thing. Um, e- even 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 I think it was connected to McCarthyism due to the movie. But even in 1938, that kind of paranoia did exist. I wouldn't be surprised if the movie was intended to be about McCarthyism. Well, that makes sense. And the, again, the movie was just called the thing. The thing from another world in 1951 and 1982 was just titled simply "The Thing." The other world is communist Russia from John Carpenter. Yeah, and the the thing in the 50s version was just like a guy. He was just a dude running around. He had a big forehead. <laughs> That's true. Look him up. <laughs> I I really don't want to. Um, yeah, I miss this it. movie opens, and I gotta say, very very confusing open. But I like being dumped right into the middle of it because I was wondering, oh good lord, look at that forehead. That's bad. That's that's the now, is that Frankenstein or Frankenstein's monster? Hmm. Well, oh, my gosh. We should bring it. Alex into this debate. I feel like he no. might agree with me. No, let's not get off let, let's, that, let's, was for, that was for the fans out there. Let's do that. <laughs> let's do that for, for another. Let's say that for another time. This movie, I really like the opening where it drops you right in the middle because I wasn't sure what was going on. I was like, are they trying to shoot the dog? Are they steering the dog back to home? What's happening? I had no idea. He was pointing. He was shooting a gun at it. Well, I mean, I, like, but but like he missed so much. I was like, okay, is he a bad shot? Is he intentionally missing? What's the deal? And then of course it gets crazy because he just blows up his friend and the helicopter, which that kind of confused me a bit. I didn't really understand why the other guy tried to like. Why wouldn't he just run away? What if he was the thing? Ah, I don't know. Maybe the prequel. He ends. wasn't though. In the prequel, you see that he yeah, wasn't, wasn't the thing. But in the in the prequel. Which we might allude to a little bit, give you some. We might talk about it a little bit. Drop later. some breadcrumbs for you, Alex. It ends with the intersplicing of the original footage with the new footage of him. Oh, like, literally, it ends how the first movie begins. Like, okay, I really like that. I really yeah. like that. That's cool. We'll talk um, more about the prequel later. Dave drop, some, has drop some, some breadcrumbs. I, I think I think that's a good plan. We'll talk about this one at, at the start. And yeah, like I, I remember I remember thinking because I'd for, I'd sort of forgotten like as I started watching because I've seen parts of the movie before I'd never seen it in full before I'd seen the famous part where um where what's his name again honestly um, I think where Norris like the whole transformation there I've seen that a million times so I knew that the but thing like, is I only know three of their names Giles Windows names, and McCready really. I don't okay, care so and Blair I, I I wrote down Norris's gray sweater guy um and I knew the doctor he's the one who had the doctor. heart attack yes but it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a heart attack as we as well, we learned but they thought it was the had. assimilation exactly they got him um but like i i'd kind of forgotten and then i see the dog and i'm like why are they shooting after the dog and then the second the guy fired the dog i was like oh my gosh it's, it licks that guy yes yes it does and more importantly it also goes into the guy's room later on as well well uh, yeah you, you don't ever know that's my first fun fact you don't ever know who Patient Zero is of the crew. Uh, and to help allude to the mystery, John Carpenter brought in someone that was not part of the main cast to be the stand-in for the shadowy the shadow figure in the room. Where he saw his hair. I Alex, assumed it was, you know, it was Norris. Alex, do you know who he brought in to be the shadowy figure? No, I do not. Who is it? Uh... Michael Myers from Halloween. Yeah, really. The actor who played Michael Myers. Yes, it all ties in. The dog uh, assimilates. Which and that that guy's name is Tony Moran. And actually, no, Nick Castle played the shape. Tony Moran played the unmasked version. That's great, spectacular. I did not know that. That's awesome, actually. 
Good for John Carpenter. Good for the Michael Myers actor. That's Pretty cool. cool. Um, yeah, so I honestly, I assumed it was Norris, actually, because Norris, they had similar hair. So Norris is the guy with the gray sweater who has the, and then Blair, we know Blair. Nalls is one of the last survivors who just ran, runs away. I actually have a fun fact about that, at least according to, like, a Reddit page. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah, but this movie, oh, my gosh. Like, and then when they go to the Norwegian, um, the Norwegian, like, camp, and it's just destroyed, and the dude slit his wrist, and his blood froze. And you see that in you do the prequel. They, they like, the painstakingly prequel, yeah. recreated everything that happened in the Norwegian base you see so that you see how it all happens. In okay, the so that's, that's awesome. That, I actually really do want to watch just because I'm very curious. It we'll, we'll talk about the issues we have yeah, with we'll, it, but overall, oh, yeah. I had, I had we'll fun see. with it. We'll talk about it later. I'll say we talk about it at the end because yeah. we talk about how, yes. it, how it follows up with a, a 20 year or 30-year-later uh, prequel that has the same name. Not Alex says he has some questions about yes, things I do. happening in the thing, okay. and I think you're the best person so, to answer. In which one? I, the, I say, the original one. I haven't seen the prequel. I'll say that. So the, this particularly talking about the original. But first, before we get to that, I want to say, like, what are some of y'all's favorite things about this movie? Because I have a bunch. I really just... First of all, I'll say this before beforehand. Greatest practical effects of all time? I'd, I'd say it's a Probably, thing. yeah. You, can, Probably. you might be able to find, like, another one. The that's really only good. one that compares, I would say, is um, the incredible mechanics in The Terminator and in Jurassic Park, because that was done by the same guy, Stan Winston. I want to ILM? Say his name. Uh, I, yes, I believe, I believe that was his company. And those are next level. Like, the fact that it was the whole T-Rex, really, that's incredible. But these, I mean, what did you guys think of that? Like, I mean, this is what makes the movie so iconic in a lot of ways. The thing is the... I, well, it's in the title. It's what's iconic about the movie. The thing. It's so f- gross. It's so it grotesque. Ugh. Looks so real. It's not so to mention, so slimy. It did not get a single Oscar nomination, let alone for uh, visual effects. I'm it actually got gonna fun fact. It was hated when it first yeah, came out. It, it was. It, it received mediocre to poor reviews, and one of the big reasons was because of the practical effects. People thought it was just like, uh, just gore to be gore like they didn't think that it they it looked good or brought anything to the story and then yeah it wasn't until actually like the early 2000s and uh where people started to revisit the thing in, in part it was due to the fact that it competed with et and uh to quote one uh thing i saw on wikipedia from a review very positive alien invasions to this remind like where they're back at the villains because the aliens weren't really villains and space wasn't really vi- made villains in the 80s and that was a part of it and also apparently there was a great a not a great there was a recession in the 80s that a lot of people were not looking for negativity in film because there was negativity in life essentially is what i saw I, that I, was also very fascinating i don't understand the why people didn't like it when it first came out like i get that it was a big change in uh like you know storytelling or whatever maybe it was like the first wave of i guess modern gory horror but like Roger Ebert said in a review that it was the story was already told and done better in Alien, which I think is a disservice to both Alien and The Thing because they both tell two completely different invasion stories. Like the Xenomorph is not taking over the crew members. He's killing them one by one, and they're paranoid about what's around them, but they're not paranoid about, about the each people around. Other than yeah. the, other than the, uh, the, I believe it's uh, the drone. I thought, or the, what, what I can't remember the android. Yeah, the android. Outside uh, of that, you're right. Yeah, that that's a terrible review, to be honest. But that Ebert, was Ebert wasn't review. known for having that many good reviews. I'm gonna be honest. That's all, like Ebert missed a lot. That, that's a complete disservice to Carpenter and Ridley Scott, who were two incredibly talented and creative directors who made two vastly different films. 
One, you're right, Chris. One is about paranoia of your surroundings, of being in a dark, you know. I mean, it's about it's about it's about the isolation in a dark spaceship where there's nowhere for you to go. This is about more about the distrust of each other and the fact that no matter what, no matter how much camaraderie there may seem to appear, these guys simply do not trust each other and are terrified of each other and who who is who. Paranoia. They also he also said that the original the thing from the fifties was better too. This is not horrendous. It's like dudes with big foreheads. I I've not seen the original, so I I, I cannot say. Um, also, I I will say I really like uh, the poster where it shows one of them like in all their winter clothes, but the face is like blacked out to show that you don't. One know of my who favorite. Posters one of the best of all posters time. ever. All time all time classic poster. All time as a, as a big poster aficionado, it's probably top ten for me. It's a st- it's amazing. They also there's another one that's. Oh, where is it? There's, There's another uh, one. I think it might have been fan. Alex, we kind of we kind of hijacked what you were were talking about. Do you want to continue with what you were saying? What were you saying? Favorite scenes or? I think I think I just want to talk some more about like what y'all really enjoyed about it before we get into sort of a lot of my questions because I do have quite a bit. Okay. Like, what are some of the scenes that really started? You were like, wow, that's just when they're when when he's testing the blood and then whatever his name is. I can't remember who it was, but Childs and Palmer are tied down to the couch with them. Yeah, and then he like blows up and he eats windows. Yeah, so that and they're like they're like they're like get us out of here! They're like, they're like trying to get away from him. I love the, that. The I believe that was, that was Palmer the whole time. No, Palmer, yeah. Palmer and Childs are the ones tied down. Right. So that is it's um, the it's the dude that. Where's like the jean vest or yeah, something. he was always smoking. I can't. I I don't see his name on the cast list. Actually, I don't know why. Um, he probably looks different on the IMDb that's picture. Fair, that's fair. Um, yeah, that that scene. I also like the whole transformation scene um, where uh, Norris oh. becomes the thing. And I, I just, uh, gosh, it's just so great how the movie doesn't let you know really what's up. Like, like, do you know that McCready uh, is actually the thing or not? Nobody really knows for part of you. are like, wait, why are the clothes like that? Are we being completely deceived? Is it a perfect replication? Um, one thing I did, so I had not seen this movie so I was not sure what was going to happen with the dogs when the dog went in there and said and I was like wait a minute that's probably what is, that's probably my favorite scene is when you first see the thing yeah because the it's dog just, is transforming and the tendrils start shooting out it's just so disturbing and, and yeah, then it's it the people start freaking out and they don't want to like burn this thing and it's growing its arms and it's trying to climb out and it's just killing all these dogs that was a crazy scene and and the way that it uses you know um it uses the movie and the fact that it's not following everybody to sort of create this sort of tension for the audience where you're like, who is who? Like, Childs hesitates to torch it. Why does Childs hesitate to torch it? Could Childs be another offspring of it? So he's acknowledging that he has to kill part of it so the rest can survive? Well, at the point of, at that point... I mean, you it, don't know. It was... Uh... I think they were just they were just freaking out because they no, I mean, didn't yeah, know that's, what they were you're, you're right, but you still... There's, there's that little thing where you're like, could he... Because I know I know where the movie's going, and it's sort of you know paranoia. So I'm like, could it be him? Could it for a second be him? And then when Blair is talking to Clark, and Clark's like acting very suspect, you're like, mm, I don't know, what that is, I don't know what's happening. Um, but a couple of the questions I had is, like, how exactly did the thing get to um, Blair, and when? I think he already was. So his whole like Blair, Blair was assimilated. So the I watched a video about this. Uh, ah, Blair was assimilated sometime after being put in the shed. The theory is that 
a little bit of blood got on him and it slowly started to take him over. And there's the theory that the reason he made the noose is because he could feel it taking over his body, but it took him over before he could kill himself. Oh, so like, that's it does like the so three day good. When it does like the three-day time jump and they check in on him and he's like, I'd like to leave now. And he's like all eerily calm. And you just see the noose like between him and McCready. McCready? Was Mac- yeah, yeah that's McCready. his name. That's it. <laughs> it's spelled like McReady, but it is McCready. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I McCready? Anyway, go on. And then uh, the things behind me, isn't it? The the theory is that it was assimilating him, and he knew it because he did all the tests and stuff, but he couldn't off himself before it took him over. Interesting. That's that's fascinating. It's confirmed because when they check his blood, uh, it doesn't. Or no, they never check his blood, do they? I thought they did. They were going out there to right. They were going gone. out there to check his blood, and he was gone. But right. They, I forget what it is. I should. I'm gonna. I should look it up. But I remember there is something that proves he was not assimilated up until sometime after. I thought it was well. So one thing that sort of throws me off is the fact that he destroys the helicopter before he's thrown in the shed, and they use the helicopter parts to build the ship. Well, he does that because he's has a panic attack, and he's like, no one's allowed to yeah, leave, and he they got to civilize. Because if it got to civilization, it would overtake the world in 27 hours. 27. So, 27,000 hours. Yeah. Was it 27,000 hours or was it, it 27,000? 27, no, it was 27,000. Okay, well. How, how, how long is it? It was going to take over the world. That's yeah. like, I think it's 1,000 days. Interesting. It's just because it would need transport is, is the whole issue. Is, and, yeah. yeah. Well, it does that and then um, he does that and then when the thing eventually assimilates him and uses the parts to try and build this little craft. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. So that, I was just wondering, I didn't, I didn't know when it, three like years approximately. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so that, that sounds, that's yeah, that sounds right. Three, three years, thousand days. Um, also, did you guys ever have any questions about why Nalls ran away at the end? Like, do you remember, um, it's McCready, Palmer and Nalls are all making uh, the bombs, and then Nalls goes after. Nalls just walks away, so he sees something. But apparently, the scene that was cut out was a very graphic uh, absorption of Nalls that they just didn't have money in the budget to actually do. So that's why he you yeah, assumed they, he's being. They just assumed taken over. that he was infected by the uh, the mega monster. Exactly, exactly, and not to mention this is the biggest question of all: Is Childs the thing? I don't think so. There's so there's uh, a lot of theories. People like to point to the lack of breath, but that's uh, that's a bad theory. One because you actually do see his breath. It's just the lighting of the scene makes it look like he, you can't see it as much as McCready's. Um, two, John or was it John Carpenter or um, what's his name? Actor. I'm drawing a Kurt Russell right now. Kurt Russell said that. It he it was in, intended so one of them was meant to be the thing, but I think that neither one of them are the thing, and that fits better with the theme of the paranoia, because whether they're the thing or not, they're just gonna freeze to death there and die. I do like the idea of that you can only see one of their breaths, but like that's obviously accurate, that's yeah. that wasn't what it was meant to be because throughout the rest of the movie you can see well, when the thing is on when the thing is. Like assimilate as one of you can see their breath. Yeah, when yeah. it's like as, when it's on what's his face when they first see it taking over the bald dude that was shot yeah, in the leg. You can see he's his like, breath when he does like the like 
you see his breath coming out. So it doesn't that, that would be a cool sense. detail to if they had really thought it over. Yeah. Um, additionally, I would say and child uh, and child's earrings still in. That's true. They did say that they could not assim- They they could not like assimilate raw material, which is why the pl- the the clothes that they have are all torn up. Well, here the. the there's a working theory between that and the prequel and that how they the learn. prequel how the prequel justifies it which is that the so thing learns in in the prequel they wanted to find a way to identify the thing without just copying the original movie where they heat the blood up so what they did instead is they made it so it cannot replicate like um non-organic material like earrings or uh fake teeth or anything clothes stuff like that so in the original movie that's like the the blood scene where instead of heating up the blood they check everyone's infills on their mouth and then those that don't have fake teeth or anything have to stand to the side um interesting but then nothing comes of that that was part of the subverting Ah. the expectation that they were you would expect someone to like burst like they did in the original movie but they don't and it keeps the tension high interesting so kudos to them but the theory is that the thing the thing clearly learns, and so by the time it gets to the original movie, it knows to replicate the um, inorganic material. But I didn't think it was capable of doing that, regardless. Well, it doesn't. Well, it doesn't replicate it. It keeps it in. Okay, so it adds it in. Interesting. Rather that, than, that's a good point. And uh, if you want to go by the canon of the game that came out for PlayStation yep. Two, which John you can find Carpenter Child's said, body. John Carpenter said that the sequel, the two, that game, the PlayStation Two game, was canon. So you so, find child's frozen body in it, but you it doesn't say anything about McCready's though. Interesting. Maybe McCready interesting. was the thing. Mm. Um, also, Keith David, uh, the actor for Child, said they shot the scene as if they were both not the thing. They were they, and then they shot an alternate ending. But Carpenter kept the one that's in the film as the one where they shot it under the impression they were their characters were not the thing. There's a lot of contradicting information about the ending which i like because you, it's yeah like ambiguous like child's running out after blair really seems like total crap and then like the fact that he actually he may have just been frightened that's true i that, just i don't get why you don't bring childs with you what's the point well, of they had to, they, they said they said in case blair gets back the point there. was if blair gets back without them to just torture him right away okay so but they had to travel still travel in three still Exactly, and they didn't know Blair had that underneath area. Like, that totally changed the whole game, really. Yeah, in, fair. In, in Understandable. Man, what a movie. I really, I, gosh, it's just so good. It's like one of my favorite. The order. practical effects are amazing. I just really, like. I want to watch it again. This is, this I is why. I want to watch it again, too. Yeah. yeah. This movie. Hey, you free tonight? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to watch it again and get my roommates to watch it. I know none of them have seen it, and it's just awesome. This is why I hate CGI, because people are like, practical effects, it looks like dumb and whatever. First of all, I think it looks a lot better because it's actually there. You know it's there. You know characters aren't staring at something that's not there or a green ball. Like it's there. Not to mention, it looks spectacular in 1982. You're really telling me it hasn't gotten better? Really? Like every everything's innovation, right? Everything is going to continue to grow. Every industry, whatever. The behind the scenes footage of the 2011, the thing, the the practical effects look amazing. And then they just, but I heard they do, the studio CGI. The 2011 it. movie is a cautionary tale about studio interference, as is the case for a lot of movies nowadays. So explain they, uh, that a bit. So the movie was made, so the people, the the 2011 thing movie is actually a good movie. And I here's why. It. it was distracting the bad CGI is so distracting that I'm convinced that it was enough to make people not like the movie. But really? the story is good, 
And the amount of detail that the people put in, the director for this movie directed TV commercials before this movie. Wow. So they went in and they watched the original Thing movie like dozens and dozens of times, just the beginning of the movie where they go to the Norwegian base uh, and they painstakingly recreated every scene, tried to create a narrative from every bit of information that was provided, like the axe in the wall, the dude with his n- neck slit open, uh, the ice block, the two, why the two-faced two thing was outside. So they created a narrative just off of this crime scene evidence from the first movie. Um, and the set is a perfect replication of how it was set up. Even got the, the windows thing. to break in the they same way. Even got light. the windows to break the same way. They did everything. And they part of that was they knew that to pay homage to the original, they had to do everything in practical effects. So they did everything in practical effects. Well, the problem is the studio wanted to put it before a test audience before the after effects were done for the practical effects. So they didn't there was gonna be a little bit of CGI in it to like add arms to the two faced creature, um, to fix up some of the problems on the practical effects or add some more uh, texture or whatever, but they put the unfinished product in front of a test audience and they hated it. So the studio, well, obviously they hated it because it looked awful probably, right? You could tell they were puppets and stuff, but the studio panicked and they dumped all the footage with the practical effects and they had to redo the scenes uh, using CGI. And so they had, I think, only like three months to do the entire movie CGI, which is why the CGI looks so awful. Because keep in mind, this came out a year before Avatar, or a year after Avatar. Year after, actually. Year after Avatar. And the CGI looks like hot dog water. I mean, there's CGI from the Lord of the Rings and early, mid-2000s movies that look that still hold up yeah. today. And the thing, the 2011 prequel, the CGI looks so awful, it just takes you out of the movie. That's unfortunate. Which is a shame, because the movie's really good. <laughs> I've not seen it, so I honestly look forward to seeing it to see you exactly watch it how, tonight. how much it affects that. Um, and with that in mind, also something else I want to talk about is, actually, I was going back through my notes, and I'm convinced the first uh, Patient Zero was Norris, because a couple a couple things. For one, um... When they bring the one from uh, the Norwegian place into uh, the area, everybody else is so disgusted, and he just is looking at it. He honestly sticks his head forward and sniffs it, apparently, and like it look, it makes it, it appears like that. So that was something that I thought was interesting was the fact that he, he was marked for it from the jump. I thought because I, I watched movie knowing that he becomes it, so I was looking for it, and like there's things like that. There's moments where he looks sad when he sees the dogs, when he sees the thing get burned. Like when when it's the dog one, I don't know. That's that's my theory. I recommend you guys watch again and look at those scenes more in more in particular because he acts very strange. Like when um when the dog when they're playing poker. Do you guys remember early on they're playing poker and the dog goes under and scares the heck out of um what's his face the bald guy. Yes, uh, Bennings or whatever. Norris is like it just looks fascinated. It almost looks upset that uh Bennings would criticize uh or would uh like insult the dog or whatever. And I'm like, hmm, why is Norris looking like that? It's very interesting. Maybe it's because he's the thing. I thought he was. At least at least from that point on, I thought he was. And then, of course, he ended up being it. We just don't know when he officially became um, the thing. You don't know when anyone becomes the thing. Exactly. Also, I like, uh, yeah, this just, 
It's a really great set. I, I know it's difficult to keep track of the names, and that's arguably my only critique of it, but I really like the setup of all the characters, especially McCready's first scene being uh, the playing chess. It sort of said that he's supposed to be smarter, right? Like, at least that's how I interpret it. He's supposed to be somewhat smart, but he's not perfectly smart. And he has anger issues. Exactly, he's yeah. Not supposed to be, he's not supposed to be smart. Um, he's supposed to be reckless, which is something the other people don't because they're so attached to one True. another. Ah, he's going to blow them all up. McCready's the only one that's willing to do what needs to be done, which is why he kills what's-his-face, the dog kennel guy that isn't actually assimilated. He's still human when he kills him. What was his name? Cole Kenneth? Clark. 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 I knew it was something like that. Yeah, that's a a very good point. Um, I also like how one of the first scenes we see Palmer and... Initially, they're all talking on the inside, and Palmer's like, I don't know about going on this weather, guys. It's all very, very, it's very bad weather. Maybe we shouldn't do it. And then he's persuaded. And then when he goes out, McCready's like, it's kind of bad weather. Palmer's like, shut up, McCready. It's not that big of a deal, which really shows the kind of leader that he is and the fact that he's sort of pretending to be in charge, which I think you see that a bit later as he starts to crack and sort of freak out. But I, th- I thought that scene was very interesting. I was like, huh, wait a minute. Why did he just say that? And then just then tell McCready who cares. Because, I mean, I think that sh- shows exactly the type of character that he was in that one scene. Um, so we don't think MacReady was the thing either, though, mm, do we? I no. don't. You, I mean, you were with him the whole time. I don't think MacReady was the thing. And what do we think of... Do we think Fuchs burned himself? Yes. It said, they he said did. he did. He yeah. did. Well, they they assumed so. But I think he did. The thing wouldn't burn wouldn't burn him if he had the chance to assimilate him. That's true. So do we think he realized how hopeless it was because he thought McCready or was I think the he thing? saw the thing coming towards him. Ah, or something. that burned himself. Something. That's a good something. point, though. He, he saw something. That's a good point. That's a good point. Because because um, McCready's light was on in his place, so I'm sure maybe the thing went up there. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, One second. I'm, maybe I'm, it got on him and he felt the only way to kill it was the... Torch himself. So, I mean, that's that. I, I thought it was either that or, um, either that or the fact that he realized it was hopeless. He thought it was hopeless, so he was going to burn himself so he couldn't be assimilated because he thought if McCready's it, then that must be. That's what happens in the prequel. Wait, really? Yeah, the dude, they explained the guy that was found with his throat slit as somebody who was, uh, the thing was sneaking up on him, so he just cut his throat and while he was alone before the thing could get to him. That's how they explain it. Interesting. That's really cool. They um, cut the scene out, though, for pacing. Ah. But they showed... But you show They, show, they, you see they show his body later on. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, any other more thoughts on this uh, movie? I know... I do want to play the game now. Interesting. Kinda Me do. too. I heard that it's actually really good. It's like a squad-based horror shooter. Really? That's interesting. I, Inspired I, I, by the original Resident Evil games. Really? Yeah. I wonder how that would work. That's interesting. I actually do kind of want to play there's it. Like a, there's like a sanity meter and stuff. Really? Yeah. If That's I remember really correctly, because cool. I watched a video about it a long time ago. 20 bucks? Sh- shall we? Hmm. I don't know. You got to check Game Exchange. You, you need a PlayStation 2 first. No, it's, on, it's on Xbox. Oh, really? Emulators. It's on Xbox? Also, yeah. Oh. Through the also, lens first ever through the Video game gaming? review? I, I want to do an episode on <laughs> Uncharted. I've been trying to get him to play him. Davis is like, you've got to play three games by December. Yep. Four. I'm like, okay, sure. Four. Through, the, through the controller. No. Ah. Oh, we'll workshop it. <laughs> through through, <laughs> through the, the game store. Through the HDMI cord. Through yes, the HDMI yes. cord. It works out, doesn't it? It's not set up. I think so. That's a um, Patreon exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, it's not. 
We don't have any of that nonsense. Yes. Um, so any any other big thoughts on this movie, guys? Any other think, uh, uh, things I'm to say? About, I've spoken my piece. Chris, I feel like it's a great movie. You should watch it. It's spooky. It is. There do you, you go. Do you, Davis, did you think Halloween was scary or this one no, was scary? No, this is way scarier. Mm. This actually got me to react. I, uh, I There was a few times in Halloween I was like, whoa. But in this one, like, I'm way more enthralled in this one. It's I disagree, actually. It's the whole time. I think it's the opposite because I think that um, where this is so sci-fi, I'm not afraid of it actually happening. Like, um, but it's so realistic. Well, I mean, it, it, as far as sci-fi goes, I don't believe that's something that could happen where a dude in a mask with a kitchen knife just wandering around stalking people. Difference. To each of their own. It's like it's like how Hereditary did that uh, that scare where it was just lightly in the dark. You could see the outline of the grandmother. It's like you know it wasn't. It, it's that's something. It's like it's almost too real. When you look in the shadow, do you see some? Do you not see something? Who knows? So, I, I personally thought this one was certainly more stressful and more tense. And but I think Halloween was scarier just because of its real world application for a person watching it by comparison. Like movies that are so not real could not have as much of an effect. Like, Ghost totally makes I sense. I think that it was very real. They really? could be happening right now. Yeah, we'd, ne- we'd never know. I don't know. I- I'd like to think we have better monitoring system in Alaska now than we did in 1982. Well, it's in, it's it in, in Antarctica. Antarctica. Oh, in Antarctica. Antarctica, sorry. Yeah. Which they filmed actually part of it in Alaska, though. In, in cold sets in, in Canada LA Canada and then well. Alaska and and. And Canada, Canada right. Alaska, a few other places. Yeah. Just just a couple more things going down the line. Uh, the I Know I'm Human speech is so is so good. The part where he's just like, I know I'm human. I just don't know which one of you are, or whatever he says. Give exactly. the uh, give the 2011 prequel another shot. Mm. Just look past the CGI. I've never given it a shot. The CGI before, is so I think really I'll give it a bad. Shot now, but it, the story is good. The story is. And good. they the director did an um, they did an amazing job recreating the story and creating a story and stuff. Interesting. I look forward to that. I definitely want to watch the Norway uh, or the Norwegian. Uh, station scene first and then watch that movie if I can but that'll do it for the final or the final episode of scary movie season here at through the lens we've done four episodes in October this one our last one wrapping up with John Carpenter's Halloween and the thing you can follow us along at through the lens weagle on Instagram that's through underscore the underscore uh lens <laughs> underscore weagle excuse me it's like I got kind of I got kind of caught up there on Instagram for any updates on podcasts that we are doing movies that we are going to be reviewing and movies you would like us to review you can reach out to us there We'll be back next week for our first non-scary movie version, uh, non-scary movie episode, and I think it might be Dune. We actually haven't decided yet, but you'll just the have to- The new one or the old one? Uh, maybe both. Who knows? Uh, maybe. I don't know. But we'll. Hey, oh, my gosh. We'll it's two out. movies. Davis once had me watch six one. movies in four days, so I think we can that do that. Is uh, Yes. Anyway, um, so- That'll wrap up our final episode of Scary Movie Season. Again, you can follow us along at Through the Lens Weagle on Instagram and let us know any movies you'd like us to review in the near future. But until then, I'm Alex Huting alongside Davis Carroll and Chris Tobias, and we will see you all next time for possibly Dune. <laughs>